Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hello. Today we're doing the 1984 young adult thriller, I guess we would call it, Cloak Mm -hmm. and Dagger, starring Dabney Coleman and Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas plays a young boy, about 10 or 12 years old. He's troubled. His mother has recently passed away. His father is a serviceman in the United States Air Force. And he has a very rich fantasy life. He's heavily into a spy game called Cloak and Dagger. And his hero is the fictional character, super secret agent, Jack Flack. Henry Thomas, he's Davy. He plays Davy Osborne. He stumbles across a spy ring that is transferring military secrets out of the country through video game cartridges. He sees a murder, he gets a hold of one of the video game cartridges, but unfortunately, because of his deep dive into fantasy, nobody believes him. He soon finds himself hunted by the spy ring, and his imaginary friend, Jack Flash, Jack Flack, Flack. he's not a gas, gas, gas. No. he comes to him in his head and gives him little tips and tricks on how to escape and avoid detection and basically save the day and keep a top secret bomber plans from out of the spy's hands. This is a much darker film than you might think it is. It's oh yeah, Hitchcock. It's basically Hitchcock for kids. Kind of, yeah. And the... Director and screenwriter worked together. Their previous movie was Psycho 2. So they both had a Hitchcock vibe to them. This movie is very much has elements of Rear Window and it has elements of North by Northwest. And there's a shot early on of a dead body falling down between the stairs of a stairwell that is almost a Hitchcock shot, pure and simple. Certainly. Certainly. And it should be noted too, uh, the screenplay is Tom Holland of, uh, among other things, Fright Night. Um, and uh, Richard Franklin, the director, also attended the same film school at the exact same time as uh, George Lucas, Robert Zemeckis, and John Carpenter. So there's some really deep, like very cool cinema roots to all of this. Well, um, I mean, just the fact that they were both chosen to one write and the other direct a sequel to one of the most iconic thrillers ever made, Psycho, shows that there are people who know how to handle their material. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, this movie doesn't pull punches, man. It's, it is, you're right, it's a, it's a lot darker. I remembered it being kind of dark. I remember it being kind of dark, even seeing it as a kid. Um, and it still is very dark, man. Like, the, we'll get to it, but when Rice has that machine pistol on um, on Davy there, like, wow. Yeah. Well, before, Just we wow. Talk, before we get too much into it, because this movie came yeah. out in 1984, I was 11, and Dad took me to see this in the theaters for my birthday. Right. And this was the movie that taught me that the people who make the trailers and advertisements for movies are just dirty, rotten liars. Because so, the the trailers and the ads all indicate that Jack Flack is a real guy. 
that right. he is there to save Davy and stop the plans. But once you see the movie, it's like, no, that's not it at all. Jack oh. Black not only does not exist, he is only in Davy's head. Right, so, which has way darker implications if you, if you want to go is, down that. This is true, but this was the movie that taught me at the age of 11, <laughs> you can't believe the trailers. You can't believe the ads. And it should be noted, by the way, that uh, on his, now this is his Wikipedia page, but I imagine it's true. Uh, so Richard Franklin, the director, like I said, he attended film school with Lucas uh, Zemeckis and Carpenter. But it does say that Franklin was a devotee of Alfred Hitchcock ever since he saw Psycho at the age of 12. So, you know, <laughs> you could definitely see where he'd just be like, yeah, this is, this is great. We can do this. Well, I mean, yeah, and you got to remember, too. Because it pulls no punches when Psycho was out, they weren't really too worried about. There wasn't, um, what do you call it, the GPG. You know, there wasn't the film ratings. People just went to go see movies. Right. Right. And this was probably just before the PG-13 rating anyway, which this probably would have gotten a retrospect. I I remember being very disappointed and upset finding out that Jack was just an imaginary character. But then I enjoyed the movie anyways. Because the movie works. And here's the thing. I generally, for the most part, nine out of ten times a movie that has the lead character or the protagonist as a kid or a group of kids, I'm just not going to be into it. Same. Same. Even as a kid, I wasn't all that interested. Even as a kid. Because when we were kids, we never pretended. If we went out to play, we pretended to be Rambo. Sure. Or we pretended to be Indiana Jones. We sure. didn't pretend to be the obnoxious kid hanging out with Rambo or Indiana Jones. Right. Well, plus, we could just go imagine stuff in the backyard. We don't need to see other kids do it. <laughs> it exactly. But one of the reasons this movie works is because the danger is real. And let's compare oh, it boy, to, say, the, probably one of the most famous Home Alone. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. All right. Yep. Those guys aren't a danger to Macaulay Culkin. Not quite, no. They're bumbling fools. And that's why, you know, that's what, and that's my problem with most movies like this is that as the kid's getting away from the spies, uh oh, let me drop my marbles. Uh-oh, right. Oh, look at them skitter around and fall like a bunch of bumbling right. idiots. No, they are out to kill this kid. They are capital E evil. They're ready to straight up stab him on a boat, man. <laughs> You know, not to mention, like, well, we'll get to it. Let's just let's just kind of like parse yeah. through the movie here because so, it's, it's awesome. Let's let's begin with um, what seems like the beginning of a James Bond movie. Sure, you see Jack Flack parachute into what's uh, some sort of foreign embassy. He takes out a couple of guards, and he's obviously trying to get a briefcase away from what looks like a Soviet general and. Uh, Middle Eastern chic. And, you know, so he does his little spy stuff. He gets one guy with a cigarette blowgun and he defends himself with his bulletproof beret and grabs the briefcases and running off and Portcullis shuts down. He looks like he's trapped and what comes rolling after Adam but two giant 10-sided dice? 12-sided dice? They were well, they 12-sided 12. dice. Sure. Yes. All right, so 12-sided dice. And Come then on. he goes sailing off God. into the air and it's revealed that Davy and his, his friend um, Kim, Kim are playing a she's probably like the best in this whole movie but yes. She's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. She's hysterical. She's not comic relief either but she's hysterical. No. No. But it, it turns out they're playing a game and you know 
Davy has beat her, and yep. we cut back and we see that they're hanging up in a video game slash role playing game store with William freaking Forsythe as Morris. With William awesome. Forsythe as Morris, and what's funny is before I had just watched Extreme Prejudice with him in it. <laughs> okay. And boy, is he playing entirely different roles. Yeah, I would say so. Here he's the nerdy. Love those glasses, like four feet long. Oh, yeah. They made sure that he was in Coke border glasses, big <laughs> unkept beard. and Oh, yeah. Oh, you man. know, he, he's what everybody assumes your IT guy looks like. Sure, sure. Including working in the back of a game store at the mall that I would totally love to have worked at. Like, I would be him, absolutely, in 1984. <laughs> I'm him now, basically. So they basically, yes. Yeah, so they basically, you know, they get the little quick setup of, you know, Davy's an obsessed kid, rich fantasy life, wants to be Jack Black, super secret agent. Mm-hmm. Kim is his friend because, as she tells her mom later, he's the only <laughs> boy around who isn't dull. Right, he's interesting. She finds and him interesting. Laura sells all these games and obviously enjoys them himself. Right. So he sends them off. Morris asks them to run across town to this takes place in San Antonio, Texas. And he sends them across town to pick up catalogs from Textronics game division for his store and also to pick up a package of Twinkies for him. And to make it exciting for Davey, he tells Davey, oh, there's a secret message in the Twinkies. Right. And Kim, right from the, the beginning, is like, I'll go with you, but if you, only if you promise not to be embarrassing. <laughs> she is awesome. Like, she just can't even with him half the time, and she pulls it off so wonderful. She's fantastic. And I don't even think she's, she, what is she, probably eight hanging around with the 10-year-old? She, she might be 10. She might just be small for her age, but right, right. From, she's like. I'm under the impression they are the same age, or if he's older, it can't be by much. He is. She is just done with his nonsense, <laughs> right? You know, they borrow. These but at the same games. time, she's charmed by it. She's clearly charmed by it because oh, again, she's she got nothing better to do for sure. But she oh, obviously yeah. enjoys it on a level of Davy. As long as it's just you, me, and a Morris hanging around, right? I don't mind being lady ace to your Jack Flack. But right. when we're out in public, could you please? Right. Because they I, get to the they get to the building and he's running around behind columns behind columns oh, like yeah. infil, infiltrating a Nazi stronghold and she's just strolling in like and even says to him this is what I meant about not being embarrassing right which which that's the interesting like to him that's the kind of funny part is like if he actually was playing the spy part correctly he'd be fine. She'd be fine because they would just be acting normal, but he can't do that because he's like 10 year old. So that's, that's his idea of a spy is to look as conspicuous as possible. Hopping yeah. from pillar to pillar. <laughs> he actually brings more attention to himself Absolutely. than if he had just walked in because the guy, the guy behind the desk is like, what is this yeah. doing? That's a great scene too. He's just like, what the, what? Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Um, uh, again, another another incredibly well acted movie, and uh, Hen- I mean Henry Thomas is amazing in this. Um, and to quickly, just to quickly divulge into his character and to um, the dad, who's also played by Dabney Coleman, a bit. Um, there's obviously a backstory, right? But they say just so much in there. Like you can just look at at Dabney Coleman when he's playing the dad, and you can just see the pain, and you can see like the concern. 
And you can just see that he's a very tired, tired man, just in those expressions. And, and in Davy's eyes, again, you can see a kid who's really, I don't want to say troubled. I don't, I don't want to psychoanalyze him, but obviously there's some stuff going on and they both know it. And um, without really saying much of their backstory, except we know they lost the mom. We don't know how, or at least I don't think they say it, but not that it's really all that important anyway. It's just that they, they express a lot in so much. Uh, in the in in this movie, like you can just feel the backstory without them even saying a word. It's incredibly well done. And then when you know Dabney Coleman then flips back to the super cocky and really very funny um, Jack Flack, who's sort of like a cross between like James Bond and you know um, uh, Indiana Jones. Um, it's it's extremely well done and and very subtle. Uh, this movie is never cloying. It's never ham-fisted. It's really excellent in that respect. It's a very it treats its audience. Like adults, I guess you know. <laughs> you, it doesn't dumb the, the material down for kids because no. what happens is once they get to this textronics building, he insists that they split up, and Kim goes up in the elevator, and he goes up the stairs, and the stairs have these windows that look out onto the building next to it, which is apparently one giant mirror, right? Because he can see everything perfectly reflected in this building, and I guess. In San Antonio, they do have probably those reflecting m- windows to, you know, keep the buildings cool. That makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, he goes up the stairs, and this is where we first meet him meeting Jack Flack, who just appears as, in, you know, in his fantasy. And to the, again, to the filmmaker's credit, you see Henry Thomas's reflection across the way, mm-hmm. but you don't see Jack Flack's reflection because he doesn't exist. Right. And the movie isn't. This isn't like. This isn't like Fight, Fight Club where they're tricking you. You know, right from Correct. the beginning, yeah. Jack Flack is only in in uh, Davy's head. Correct. And that's when Davy witnesses the murder of an FBI agent who stumbles into the stairwell, hands him a video game cartridge, gives him a list of numbers. Which the, killers, the killers chase him into the hall. Well, remember, Davy's been training to be a spy since day one. Right, it's still impressive. So a long number. They kill the guy. He goes tumbling down the stairs. Davy goes running down the stairs, calls out to security. They've just killed a man, and now they're after me. And, of course, man, are these guys quicker cleaning up after themselves. Hell yeah. Because within less than a minute, they've cleared away the dead body and any trace of anybody being there. And, you know, when they get there, we meet the vil- one of the villains, Dr. Rice, who works there. But, of course, he says, no, nah, there's nobody around the staircase. Just me. Yes, the Cruella Deville of this child's film that's on Peacock Kids, folks. Um, yeah, that that's what really because it's, it's you can watch it right now on the Peacock streaming app, and it's under their kids. But again, this yeah. is basically I, for kids. Totally, totally. But I it, mean, parental guidance strongly suggested, but aside from that, it's not like it's a very violent or remotely sexual film in any way. But you know what? This this is a father son film. Totally. Yeah. As Dabney Coleman even stated lately, late, uh, to an in an interview, he says people come up to him all the time and say, "I saw it with my dad," or "I saw it with my son," and we really enjoyed it. Right. That's how it's supposed to be seen, like as a family, exactly. So, and this puts Davy on the run from the spies, and they know who he is because he left behind a softball that he pretends is a grenade with his name and address on it. And when the police, you know, obviously the police pick him up because he's told people there's been a murder. And if it weren't for Kim, 
who basically is like, no, this is where he, who he is and where we live. The, the when the cop drops Davy off to his dad, played by as you said, a very tired Dabney yes. Coleman. That's when Dabney Coleman explains, like, yeah, he's he, we lost his mother recently. We're we're both having trouble handling it, but he's a good kid, and yes, he's done this before. He obviously has a very tenuous grasp on reality. Yeah, or a very vivid imagination, we'll call it. Yes, but obviously, again, in Davy's mind, Jack Black is his dad. So in right. his subconscious, his dad is his hero. Right. And that's where we find out, you know, he goes up to talk to, to Davy, and that's where we find out that Davy is in psychiatric treatment. He's at least seeing mm-hmm. a psychiatrist for all this. And he's saying, I made an appointment. We're going to go tomorrow. And, you know, you tell him what you told me about these spies and all that. And, We'll work this out. And it's also where he's, you know, Dabney Collins like, I, I don't want you playing these games anymore. And Davey just very innocently, you, you kind of feel like, well, Dad, maybe if you just played one with me sometime. Right. Right. And and you, you get this, you know, again, it's... Which is an interesting is- commentary in 1984. And by the yes. way, if you notice the third edition Dungeons and Dragons books behind Morris every time, you know, coincidence, maybe, maybe not. But it is it is an interesting subtext there. You know, the mom is obviously recently passed. He's got a job in the Air Force, which obviously requires a good deal of his time. So, yeah, Davey's stuck with Pirelli, it seems like. He, he obviously doesn't have any friends outside him of And poor Kim, yeah. And, and Morris. Right. So it's, again, he's even deeper into this fantasy of his friend Jack Flack helping him be a super spy. Right. So soon we find out that when he brings the game cartridge to Morris at Morris's game store, and Morris says, "Oh, look, there's a chip in here that isn't supposed to be there." Whoever knew, whoever put it in there, obviously knew what they were doing, and we must be able to access it through the game. Um. Well, actually, before this, I should point out that the after Davy's dad goes to work and he's home alone, the spies bust in to get him. Yeah, like one of them, uh, man, just punches through the door. <laughs> To get after yes, him. like one of these guys the, is jacked. They have <laughs> the big strong man spy. They have the, the sweatsuit. They have the stabby, you know, obviously more of a killer guy. You know, the, the typical two henchmen, the big strong right. guy and the smaller, you know, silent assassin guy, both being led by Dr. Rice. They, the two of those guys always kind of remind me of the two henchmen of Fat Tony in The Simpsons. Yes, well, they're kind of stock henchmen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yes. So he gets he gets away. He gets to the mall, and Morris is looking at it, and that's when Davy gets a call over the walkie-talkies from Kim that she's at his house, and he tells her to get out of there. But over the walkie-talkie comes um, Doctor Rice saying, "Hey, we've got your friend." If you know where the sunken Japanese gardens are, you bring the you bring the game to me there, and we'll let your friend go. So he grabs the game cartridge, and this is the only time they kind of cheat with Jack Flack, where Jack Flack hands Davy the cartridge or tosses it to him, mm-hmm. which is the only time they actually show Jack Flack doing something he couldn't possibly do. Actually, there is one other time, but uh, we can get to that. All right, so Davy takes the replacement. Davy takes the replacement cartridge. 
He rescues Kim. Unfortunately, the cartridge he gave over to the guys gives Morris's uh, game shop address. Mm-hmm. Morris is killed. They get the cartridge. Davies in it even deeper to try to stop these things. Nobody believes him. They're after him to kill him now because they no longer need him. And it, these guys, like right in broad daylight, are shooting at this kid. Yep. <laughs> but it is Texas, so people don't seem to notice. Yeah. And it, Davey shows that his training in the game has basically, because again, it comes to him in the form of Jack Flack saying, no, no, they won't take a shot at you in this crowd. In fact, the more people they get, better. In fact, go get a ride on this, this tour boat and, and you'll be safe. And this is all, like I said, he can't offer Davy any information that Davy doesn't already have. Or at least imagine that, right? Like from right. a movie or book or whatever. And all this leads Davy to the drop site. Davy learns that the drop site is going to be at the Alamo at 530, which is apparently when the Alamo closes. Right. Al- Alamo Promptly. closes early. <laughs> Promptly. Because they are shuffling people out at 5.30 or at 5.28, apparently. And that's where he meets these two elderly, this elderly couple who have, you know, kind of like helped him out before, escape on the boat. Eunice and George. Yep. Davey sees Dr. Rice leave his camera bag with the video game cassette in it that has the secret plans and walk away. Davey grabs the bag and tries to make off with it, but he's caught by security guards who admonish him for having the audacity to steal at the Alamo. Right. And then the elderly couple come along. It's like, no, no, no. The boy is just, I sent him in to get my camera bag. He grabbed the wrong camera bag. I'm sure we can settle all this. They take Davy along to the car and Davy's like, oh, you let him get away with the camera bag. And the old man's like, oh, did I? And Davy opens up. Oh, you got the cassette. Yep. And then we learn that these two older people are, in fact, the spies. Such an awesome twist. And, you know, you listen to it, knowing what you know, you listen to it. Obviously, they were pumping Davy for information to see how much Davy knew. Right. If Davy didn't know all those answers, they might have let the kid live. Right. Or, I mean, yeah. no spies. No spoilers. Davy isn't killed. Right. But True. Yeah. They obviously decide he knows too much and they are going to have to kill him. Right. And Davy, he's, they chloroform him, leave him with rice and his thugs. The elderly couple are going to escape on a plane. And again, they're probably the two most perfect spies because who's going to suspect these two of anything? Oh, and they're fantastic too. Um, I forget the names of the uh, two actors, but they're they're they like take over the movie. They're they're awesome. <laughs> they're so creepy. <laughs> they're fantastic. I like something out well, of they, uh, they they go from this friendly doting old um, doting old grandpa and grandma type characters to sinister killers. Yeah, at the at the drop of a dime. Yeah. So when Davy, you know, again Davy's captured once again, but and Rice is planning on killing him and. Davy overhears that Rice also put a bomb in 
Kim's walkie-talkie. Yeah, these guys are her. not messing around. No, and the guy even says there's enough C4 to make a hole in her whole neighborhood. Right. Davy once again escapes, and it's he gets in the car. Yeah. He, it, Davey gets in the car, and Jack Flack jumps in the, the passenger seat. And as Davey's trying to drive the car, he's like, Jack, you got to tell me how to drive. And Jack's like, I don't know. This is a real car. Right. And Davey, you know, bump and grind and crashes the car into an escape. And one of the henchmen is killed trying to run him down in a phone booth. And he crashes and kills himself. And they go running off into the park. And Davey, again, through Jack is told, like, get him in a crossfire, and he tricks Rice into killing the other guy in, in the crossfire and tells Davey to get the gun. And this is where it gets probably <sighs> as dark as the movie gets. Yeah, we have to analyze this exact speech because it is something else. This whole scenario yeah. is something else, man. Earlier in the movie, Davey had shot the guy with his, his squirt gun. Oh, actually, we did skip one thing, actually, that's kind of important. And it goes back to my uh, thing that where Jack did something that he probably shouldn't have been able to do. Um, so when uh, just after Morris is killed and they find out um, Davey and, um, well, at this time, they're not, they don't know for sure that he's dead yet, but they do see the bullet hole on the monitor and they kind of put two and two together. Um, Davey is trying to follow Rice, so he gets the idea of jumping into right, the trunk of Rice's car. And that's when he finds Morris's body, which is super gross and creepy and dark, um, especially as Morris's like corpse of his best friend or like his good friend at least, like is flopping all over Davy. And that's when uh, Jack Flack like pulls Morris off of him, which you would gather that probably Davy did really himself in real life. And imagine yes. that. Yes. Yeah. And and again, this is it is a very upsetting moment. Totally, because he was his friend and. Because it just pops is, trunk open. There's Morris dead, blood. Like whoa, movie. More than everything, it's like down. he and he even says like uh, they didn't have to kill him. Right, right. And you know Jack Flack, who is again technically Davy, is just kind of like, oh man, bummer. <laughs> you know <laughs> this poor. Them's kid. the breaks. Right, this poor kid. This this is international spy. You know <laughs> this poor kid. Luckily, it gets easier from here on out. Oh, so anyway, now we're back to Rice in the park with a with a submachine gun on Davy. Davy has stolen the gun from one of the dead killers, right? And is pointing it at at Doctor Rice, who Doctor Rice thinks it's just a squirt gun because he had fallen for this earlier in the movie where Davy shoots him with the squirt gun. And <laughs> Davy's like, which he took offense to, apparently. Well, I'd take offense to red ink in the face. Sure. I don't know if I'd go this far for vengeance, but go ahead. Well, he says, you know, I was just going to kill you, but you've been such a pain. I'm going to enjoy this. And Davey's like, I don't want to shoot you. Oh, but I want to shoot you. Which is a great line. But it gets and then better. he describes, first I'm going to blow your kneecaps off. <laughs> and then I'm going to shoot you in the stomach. And while you're screaming in pain, begging for me, finish the job. I'm just going to watch you die slow. <laughs> Damn. And he delivers it with the perfect amount of smarm and menace. Oh, man. <laughs> and Davy still doesn't want to bolt it because he's, you know, he is yeah. a kid. He's, I don't want to shoot you. That line, actually, that line technically comes after that whole speech. Like after he's just described how he's going to kill him slowly while he's begging for his life. Um, 
<laughs> Davy's like, I don't want to shoot you. And that's when he goes, Oh, I want to shoot you. <laughs> like, and all, Jesus, all, all through this, Jack Flack is talking to Davy through his imagination. And Davy keeps looking over to where he believes Jack Flack is. Right. And Rice picks up on it. He picks up on that. The kid is constantly looking over to, to his right. Yeah. And is like, what's, you know, he's, is there something over there? What's the kid looking at? And Jack Flack decides he's going to save the day and draw the fire from Rice. And Davey is yelling to his imaginary friend over to his right, right. like this is Fight Club, saying no. And it's obviously so convincing that Rice opens fire at the empty spot right, in the dark. And it's almost implied that for a second, somehow Rice can see Jack Flack. Right. And that's, that's the interesting part with this movie, too. Like, this movie, up until this point, has been so straightforward, almost too straightforward, <laughs> you know, again, parental guidance suggested. But it, um, this, this scene is pulled off so incredibly well that that does seem reasonable. You almost believe it when Rice, even if you don't think he saw him, even for a glimpse, you almost believe it when Rice... Because like I almost just took it as like Rice was so pissed he's like all right I'll even kill your imaginary friend because <laughs> I have enough bullets to do it you know what I'm saying <laughs> like I, I he was doing it just to be a monster I didn't really think about it your way but that's a good point too I actually usually took it as Rice that he was so convinced by Davy that maybe somebody may actually be over there he wasn't risking it and he says I better spray that area with bullets before I shoot the kid maybe maybe. This causes Davy enough to pull the trigger. He kills Rice. So he's now killed a man, by the way, movie goers. Yes. <laughs> but in self-defense. Right, sure. Clear case of self-defense. Yeah. Um, he goes running over to Jack Flack, who's like, ah, I'm fine, you know. Bullets never touch me. Yeah, now it's going to get super sad, by the way. Spoilers. <laughs> Davy is distraught over killing the guy. He throws down the little Jack Flack action figure he's carried around with him, stomps on it, says he doesn't want to play anymore. Fair enough. And that's when the bullet wounds appear in our hero, Jack Flack. Yeah. And it's Jack Flack then gives a speech about how kids growing up and they break their toys and it's time for him to go. It's almost like, again, it's one of those movies where there is a fantasy element right and that jack flack is the was the embodiment of the imaginary fairy to davy you know almost like toy story where the toys are alive and andy's friends as long as andy needs them but once he no longer needs them it's it's a bit confusing and out of nowhere. Well, he also says he Jack Black also says, or the spirit of Jack Black or whatever also basically says that he was his dad's imaginary friend as well. Yes, he implicates that he was one time right. So it's almost like while Jack Black wasn't real, he was the spirit of something that was real. Right. It's almost as if like imaginary friends are still imaginary, yet there's somehow some sort of shared consciousness amongst imaginary friends that hang out, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's kind of sweet, confusing. and it's a little weird in a movie that's so, you know, again, we just had a sweet where you know, literally like kneecap and then gut shot eight or ten-ish year old Henry Thomas. Yes, yeah, so at this point, 
you know, Jack disappears and Davey says, I can't do it on our, on my own. And that's when Jack Slack makes his final announcement that, yes, you can, Davey. You are always on your own. As he slowly dies, leaking from a sieve of blood. Yeah, by the way. So Davey has been in contact with Kim. He knows she's heading to meet him at the airport at midnight that nobody seems it's odd that these little kids are running around and taking the buses to the airport right. at midnight. But that's besides the point. And Kim has the bomb in her walkie-talkie, and she doesn't know it. And that's when we get another little Hitchcock shot of the walkie-talkie sitting next to Kim on the bus, and there's almost a little x-ray vision of the bomb yep. counting down within the, within the walkie-talkie. Uh, Davy is uh, during the chase. Davy skinned his knee pretty badly, so he's limping along, trying. He's lost his bus pass, so he can't get the bus to the airport. The first taxi driver tells him he wants ten dollars on fr- up front, and then he meets the friendlier taxi driver who says, "Well, why don't I take you to the hospital? Because your leg doesn't look too good." And Davy insists, "No, I really got to get to the airport." So the taxi driver takes him to the airport and tells him not to worry about the fare. Mm-hmm. All our elements come together because Davey had contacted his dad at one point. We kind of skipped that, but he got a phone call to his dad. His dad has heard from the police that there's been a shootout and somebody's been shooting at a kid. Fitting Davey's description, he goes running to Kim's house where he meets Kim's mother. And Kim had left a note to her mother saying that she was going to the airport. Everybody converges at the airport just as the two elderly spies are about to board their plane to Mexico. And this is one of Davy's most brilliant, fast-thinking moments. Yep. As he chases after them through the to the gate, you know, he's of course stopped by a security guard saying, hey, kid, you can't run past here. Right. And he sees them walking away and he yells, mom, dad, don't leave me. And the security guy's like, wait, 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 are you you this boy's parents and they're like "Ah, don't we look too old to have a son that age and Davey again thinking quick I can prove it if you look in his camera bag you'll see one of my video games in there the jig is up they grab the security guard's gun they hold Davey hostage Davey Kim comes out just at the right time Davey grabs her walkie talkie so now the Spies have Davy as a hostage. Davy holding onto a bomb that's ticking down its final minutes and is being kidnapped onto a plane. Another quick thought by Davy there too was to grab that bomb from her. Yes. So now they've the the two spies have Davy on the plane. He's trying again, poor Davy, trying to explain <laughs> things to people who won't listen. He's trying to tell them there's a bomb. Right. It's got like five minutes left, and they're like, "Shut up! We're waiting for a pilot." Davy's dad, who's in his Air Force uniform, in Air Force uniform, grabs a hat and tells him, "Tell him the pilot's on the way." So the dad gets on the plane, pretending to be their pilot, that he's going to fly him to Cuba. Davy's trying to defuse the bomb. The dad makes his way into the airport airplane, saying, "You know, they just want me to make sure the kid's okay." Right, he's posing as the pilot. They weren't. Yeah, and he gets into the cockpit and he starts doing the fleet pre-flight check and getting everything ready. And finally, he says, before I can take off, they bring the kid up because they won't give me clearance until I know the boy is okay. The old lady goes back to get 
get him. And that's when she finally sees like, oh, there is a bomb in this walkie-talkie. <laughs> right. Calls to her husband. He comes <laughs> running back. Jamie, Jamie is ru- trying to rush past. Uh, Davy's trying to rush past him. The old man grabs Davy. Dad sees what's going on, so he jerks the plane so Davy can get loose. Davy gets into the cockpit. Dabney Coleman locks the cockpit. The old lily couple's like, I don't know how to defuse this bomb. What do we do? <laughs> they try to make their way into the cockpit, try to shoot he, their way through. He looks at it like it's a new smartphone. And he just kind of, I don't know. <laughs> Not the least bit, bit of urgency either. <laughs> it's just kind of like, ah, man. Maybe the it's pilot like, knows how to defuse it. It's just kind of great. His reaction to it just cracks me up every time. Sorry, go ahead. Dabney Coleman gets one of the cockpit windows open and starts reaching through to lower Davy to the ground, yelling that, you know, Davy, you got to let go. You got to drop to the ground and run away from the plane. And of course, Davy doesn't want to leave his dad, but, you know, he drops Davy. Davy rolls away from the plane, starts trying to chase after the plane as it's taxiing away. Which, that's a decent drop for a kid. From the uh, from the cockpit window of a jet. oh, it's got to be at least a fifteen foot drop that he made, I, and he hops right back up. Good for him. <clears throat> Ginormous explosion. Mm-hmm. All indications that his dad has just been killed in this explosion. Then, yeah. from out of the fireball, at first you're almost like, "Oh, it's Jack Flack," but no, his dad made it. He's okay. Jack Flack always escapes. The end. Yes. Now, I know some people have almost interpreted the ending as another fantasy by Davy. Right. Which you almost expect to see in a post-credit sequence, like Davy off somewhere, like near a graveyard or something with his dad's name on it. I can imagine his dad making even sadder somehow. Yes. I don't think that's the case. I don't think think so either. his dad escaped. It showed that he was halfway through that window when he was dropping Davy. Right. So there was obviously enough room for him to get out through the window too and escape a few seconds later. Right. I, I think don't, I don't think it's a dark depressing <laughs> I hope not. Davy think... his entire family and is now locked in a fantasy world where his dad survived. Right. Right. No, I, I don't think so either. I, I like it to, I like to believe it's a nineteen eighties understanding of explosions and uh, he was just just far enough away from an entire jumbo jet of fuel exploding. I mean, plus, <laughs> plus his dad is looking, you know, worse for wear with, you know, he's all smudged and beat up sure. as, you know. Sure. So. I mean, know. he battled a towering inferno not 10 years earlier. This is true. Now, there's some really nice camel work. There's, there's the scene in Davy's bedroom at the beginning where Dabney Coleman walks out of the door and before he's even out of the frame... Dabney Coleman appears from behind the door as Jack Flack. It is perfectly done. Yeah. It almost gives you the impression that there's twin Dabney Coleman's playing this in this movie together. Right. And Dabney Coleman is spectacular at playing the dual roles. Totally. Totally. Speaking of you legendary know. character actors, I mean, yeah, no, he's 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 amazing in this. Two completely yes. different characters. They couldn't be either. Like he looks different, walks different. Everything about him is different. It's fantastic, and he's funny. He's really funny. Exactly. 
And 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 he gave an interview where he said he loved. He did not get along with the director, right? But he did, in fact, in, enjoy doing the more with Henry Thomas. Yeah. And I believe it. Like Henry Thomas, again, he 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 just both of them. Both of them are such expressive actors in this movie. Um, you can just really feel, uh, you know, the backstory that again they don't talk a whole lot about. Uh, they just they just play it off. They just play it off in everything they do so so very well in such a really fun uh, and captivating and surprisingly dark at times movie. Um, I mean, this is like the darker parts of Harry Potter, like where, you know, that, you know, Harry Potter could get really dark. So, you know, yes. this is, this is kind of along those veins, like, wow. I, like this is kids 10. <laughs> like I get that he really ticked you off, but eh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, this movie holds up every time I see it. It's it's one of those movies that um, I only watch when I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't thought about this movie in a while. And every time I watch it, I, I smile all the way through. It, it God, it holds up. And uh, it, there's nothing. Well, I shouldn't say there's nothing quite like it, but there's not many movies still made quite like it for sure. This movie pulls zero punches. No, uh, no. Today, I mean, the Harry Potter movies are an exception, <laughs> and there are a few others, but too often especially through the 90s and early 2000s, movies were made either for adults or for kids. And in the case for kids, it was usually young kids. There was nothing for that 13 to 16-year-old audience. The ones that are too old for, for the Disney cartoons and too young for the darker action adventure right. movies. Right. So I, and I, I think that's one of the reasons that's helped this movie live on is it's something that fathers and sons in particular, you know, I don't want to, you know, uh, gender five sure, movie. No. I'm sure mother, I, I just don't yeah, know. Exactly. It's something that, you know, you can watch together and they can both get it's a, It's a family movie. It's definitely a family movie. Uh, and obviously, it's, it's, it resonates for obvious reasons with fathers and sons, right? But it's, you know, it's, it's certainly, a, like I said, it's a family movie. It's, it's something in there. It's, for it's family hour Hitchcock. Totally. Totally. Yeah, totally. Because it's just, yeah, it's really, it's just fun all the way through. Very well paced, extremely well acted. Um, the older spies who kind of take over the movie are arguably creepier uh, than the guy who's going to machine gun, you know, uh, for Henry Thomas. Like it's, and, and, and like even in that scene where he's giving the speech, you see Jack Flack off to the side, just almost smirking <laughs> where it's like, yeah, that's actually Henry Thomas. Like that's him. That's da- like, wow, this movie goes weird, but it's obviously a recommend. It's a huge recommend. But, I mean, the, the director paid attention to details. Like oh, I definitely. Said, there's that scene where you see, Davy's reflection, but not Jack's, because Jack doesn't exist. Definitely, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I guess if you really they, watch it frame for frame, you could pick this apart. But continuity-wise, it seems to really hold. They make sure, except for two minor instances, that Jack Flack doesn't actually do any real-world right. stuff. Um, it was uh, John McIntyre and Jeanette Nolan as George and Eunice McCready, Fantastic. the elderly spies. Yeah, shout out to them. They're awesome. Um, They're so awesome. So creepy. In, in fact, I want to even say the city of San Antonio gets to be a character totally. because they really use the locations of 
San Antonio. You know, they visit the Alamo and uh, there's a river tour, San Antonio River Tour. Apparently, Harry Thomas's hometown. Which probably made it a lot easier for yeah. them to film because they could, he could go home at the end of the right. day or whatever. Right. And it probably helped him, you know, run around too with his familiar out, familiarity with the sure. city. He might have actually had his own bus pass. Yes. Yes, they make they make good use of their bus passes in this movie, and well, that's the other thing is it shows that, um, uh, for lack of a better term, Davy and Kim are latchkey kids. Yeah, they both have single single parents. Yeah. They both have to come and go on their own on occasion because when they're dropped off by the officer early in the movie, he the officer asks Kim if she's all set, and she says, "Yeah, I have a key." Yeah. So she's had to, you know, and, and I'm sure, and I kind of hope, and I, obviously there was nothing sinister about lovable old Morris, Yeah. but I'm sure the parents knew who Morris was and that, you know, their kids were hanging out with him at his game store. Oh, sure. Sure. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, the kids are going to hang out at the game store and as long as Morris doesn't care and he didn't seem to, um, you know, I mean, it's, I, I don't know how frequent customers they actually were being two kids, but you know, whatever. Well, Davey obviously bought a lot of games. He, um, you know, his dad picks up a whole pile of them at the be- at the beginning when he says he doesn't want to play in those games anymore. So obviously, Davey at least spends uh, his fair share of money there. Okay, yeah, like the 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 two scenes that still bring me back to this movie, the two scenes that I remember most when I think of this movie. Um, well, I guess two and a half or three. Uh, basically, it's when Morris is is killed because that, like, very fairly early on in the movie, someone had already been killed. Like the FBI agent had fallen down the stairs, but that was just kind of like at the beginning of the movie. It was jarring, sort of. Uh, but you'd you'd almost kind of been lulled back into all right. This is just a kid's movie uh, until poor Morris is killed, and then later when his body's just found the way it is, just there. Like there's no there's no like that's his friend, right? But there's no like scene of over finding the dead body. It's like Oh my God. And now I have to get in the back of this trunk. <laughs> it's really chilling <laughs> in a way. And then later when um uh Eunice reveals her hand when the when when you know when Davy over here is like, yes. I don't know, one of them has a couple of fingers missing on the right hand, and she like creepily shows like that's a super sinister and then like chloroforms them. That's I always remember those. Yes, and they just keep casual she she, she takes off her glove, casually shows that. She's missing those fingers, and they casually talk about how they're not going to be able to use their dinner reservation. How annoying. So sociopathic. So detached. They're awesome. They're Which awesome. is, you know, yeah, that's how you have to be as a spy, at least. I guess so. I would assume. Right. Uh, it, this is just, it's, it's, it's a fun movie that surprisingly still holds up. Um mm-hmm. In fact, I think it even holds up better than I remembered it holding up. It's been a while since I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Probably at least 20 years, but um, yeah, I, I actually thought watching it again as an adult, I wouldn't appreciate it, but I did. It, it holds, it was really well done. Yeah. In, incredibly well done. And I'm a big fan of Hitchcock, so it was masterfully, you know, it really could have pictured this as being one of Hitchcock's last movies. Totally. Yeah. Hitchcock for kids. I kind of like it. I think that's a pretty good moniker for it. 
Um, I think that's pretty, I mean, not the psycho side of Hitchcock, but like 39 steps side of Hitchcock. Or, or Vertigo or, Vertigo, or right. North by Northwest or Rear oh, yeah. Window because there's rear elements window, of certainly. Rear Window. Totally. To- very much so, yeah. You could almost say it's, yeah, that's, well, without the window, right? Well, it's yes. sort of Rear Window because he sees the murder happen outside the window. And, so, and, yeah. nobody, and nobody believes yeah. him. Totally, yeah. Well, I guess it's also based on a book, I forget who wrote it, called The, the Boy Who Cried Murder. Um, but yeah, like you could definitely see, totally, yeah, Rear Window, absolutely. Um. The toughest part about this movie for me right now is trying to pick who deserves the Whit Bissell Award because it could oh. easily go to it, it could easily go to Michael Murphy as the villainous Doctor Rice, hundred uh, percent. Easily go to Christine um, Christina Nigra as Kim. She does an amazing <laughs> yeah, yeah. job, and as we've discussed, John McIntyre and Jeanette Nolan both deserve it for their roles. I, yeah, like I, I would love to throw William Forsyth in there too, but he's not in it as much as these four. Like they get to really crowd and own this movie. I have a hard time picking as well. But I'm, but, I'm giving it to Christina Nigra because as for oh. a young actress to have such an excellent handle on this role of this little girl who's friends and she delivers every one of her lines with conviction. Yeah, and she does she's an amazing job. Friend. She, you stole my choice, actually. She was definitely going to be my choice. It was totally oh, well, so we both give her the award. Um, totally, totally. Uh, yeah, actually, I'm totally fine with that because I was my my other option was going to be Mr. Rice because uh, or Dr. Rice, if you prefer, because um, somehow I managed to forget. Like he's great anyway, but somehow I managed to forget that whole speech. And like watching that again was just such. It was such a moment that I didn't expect to have watching this movie. <laughs> you know, it's like I thought I remembered this movie. I'm like I've seen this movie a bunch of times. I liked it. I remember it. it's a good movie, and I remember the part with the thing and the thing with the thing. And I'm like, and I'm watching this. I'm like, how do I not remember this life? I, this is incredible. <laughs> you know, this is like Voldemort. <laughs> you know. Oh damn! I said his name. All right, you can edit that out. No, I'm keeping it in there. Oh, It'll be your fault. Great. Fantastic. Um, all right. So uh, other recommendations. Um, very quickly, uh, I would go with like Stand By Me, um, at least, uh, you know, because it's a movie that's uh, it's a strong, I guess a cast ostensibly of children, but strong one. Um, uh, I, I kind of want to also go like to, to keep on the comedic side of things. I think an underrated movie in um, Last Action Hero, although that has different elements of similarity to this movie than than more than not. But I just kind of wanted to talk for a second about Last Action Hero because I think it's an underrated movie. I, I think it got I think it got dunked on unfairly because of the you know advertising campaign and it was towards the end of the earlier part of Schwarzenegger's career. But I guess fun movie and obviously there are parallels to this um, where you know he's in. I guess you could say he's actually in the film. It's not as much as a fantasy, but uh, whatever. Anyway, uh, Last Action Hero um, and um, Stand By Me are the kind of like the right vibe. But um, one of the other things too is like every time I see him, I realize I'm kind of, I'm you know I, how much Dabney Coleman has been in a lot of really fun movies. Um, so just just to give a shout out as well because when I see him, I always think of Nine to Five. Um, I always yeah. think of Dragnet. 
and the, the you know the Muppet Take Manhattan because he's he's just awesome. So nine to five. That's a movie we got to do and Dragnet for sure. If you really want to see Dabney Coleman at his best, nine to five is a great movie. He's amazing in nine to five. That's why we got to cover it. <laughs> well, uh, I got to go with the obvious, the Last Starfighter. Sure, the Double Bill. Yeah. You know, double, but not only that, it's a person who thought it was just all a game and ends up having to be really in it. Yeah. Um, for those like the, where, with children protagonists having to deal with a real extreme danger, Monster Squad. Yes. Um, that's that's oh, really good one. A, a movie that I think is underrated and maybe too many haven't too many people maybe haven't seen is uh, it's a little different but a person who finds themselves in over their head Boone the Bounty Hunter oh yeah that's a fun movie it is an incredibly fun movie I forget <laughs> that's a really fun movie. Uh, I'll tell you it's uh, John Morrison um, who is as far as I know still tag team partner with uh, Mike the Miz Mizan and, on uh, WWE yes but, I don't uh, know his real name all... um, it's uh, oh He's got I several, should know a real name, he's but got, I don't remember it off the top of my head. He's got several wrestling names, but... Yes. Usually Johnny and then something related to the uh, organization he's part of. Although this time it's John Morrison, uh, but before he was Johnny Nitro when he was in WCW. He was Johnny Thunder. Like he's old, you know, Johnny something. Yes. He, it's Boone the Bounty Hunter. He plays almost... Um, you know, he's in a cable access show that's similar to Dog the Bounty Hunter, and he ends up having it when he finds out his show is being canceled. He goes to Mexico to tackle a bounty that's way out of his league, and it's a really, really fun movie. All right, let me throw one more in then with Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest or, or Three Amigos. Oh, Three Amigos, definitely. That's a movie we're going to cover, actually. And, and of course, we That's discussed uh, Rear Window and North by Northwest several times throughout. Sure, Colorado. like Hitchcock. And sure. Yeah. yeah, man, I'm with you. Like, every time I see this movie... I pop it in going like, I know I'll have a good time. I remember liking this film. That's, that's why I have it and sought it out. But you're right. Like when you watch it, it's like, man, I did like this more than I thought I would, <laughs> you know, or like this, this is more entertaining um, than I seem to give it credit for in the back of my mind. Like it should hold a higher regard than uh, of movies that I remember than it really does. It was, it's clear that everybody took this seriously. Everybody does an amazing yeah. job with their roles. Uh, Dabney Coleman gets to have fun being both the the dad and you know the the rather flippant Jack Flack, and it just it works. It, it's it's a, still an amazing amount of fun. Yep, poor Kim has to survive like Davy's antics and being like <laughs> nearly murdered and blown yes. up. I hope she gets her therapy as well because uh, yeah, <laughs> poor girl man, she went through some shit. Um, you got anything else? No, no, obviously, again, huge recommend here. Uh, watch it on Peacock while it's free. Like, seriously, uh, oh, yes. check, if you have Peacock, seriously, find it. You'll, you'll, you will enjoy the hour and 40 minutes or so that you spent. And now it's time for uh, Seven Magnificent Degrees. And mm -hmm. this one is real easy because Dabney Coleman was in Towering Inferno with Steve McQueen. There you go. I'm not going to bother because I've done the same damn thing. So. Yeah, I'm sure there's, again, there's yeah. probably a million other ways with, you know, between Henry Thomas being with D. D Wallace and uh, mm -hmm. Drew Barrymore and E.T., but 
Might as well keep it simple. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of the TV Movie Rewind broadcast podcast. We don't quite broadcast. We podcast. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us, and we hope you're back next time. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>